Greetings! I am Count Mallard, from the Association of Duck Vampires for Equal Neutral Treatment, a.k.a. ADVENT. And this broadcast has been approved for equal neutral treatment to vampire ducks. Thank you. Aflac! Sorry. <laughs> there are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The Penny and James can sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello, folks. I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome once again to the Pemmy and James kind of sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. And uh, thank you, Advent, for approving this podcast as well. Advent! Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Had to make a use of my Gilbert Godfrey invitation somehow. Folks, if you want better jokes, be sure to support Pembroke's Patreon. Yay! <laughs> so we can afford better joke writers. <laughs> since, since we're not hiring any right now. Any joke writers will be better joke writers. I don't know about that. I well, mean, if nothing else, they'd be better joke writers than the ones on today's subject. Oh, that's for sure. Yes, today we are looking at the uh, B feature of the Heckle and Jekyll half of the New Adventures of Mighty Mouse and Heckle and Jekyll, Quackula. Not to be mistaken for Duckula. Not to be mistaken for either Duckula, because apparently... We'll get to it in a bit. There is a second Duckula besides the famous one from Cosgrove Hall and Nickelodeon. Yeah, but I mean, I just want to make sure that it's not it's not the British one. So right, because that that mistake happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, they are similar character builds, even though Quackula is a light blue and Duckula is green, and frankly, Duckula's outfit is fancier. Duckula's character design at least looks like, how should I put it, at least looks original. Duckula kind of looks like, uh, we took a Daffy's model and then colored him sort of like Donald and put him in a vampire outfit. <laughs> and gave him Lupin's haircut. <laughs> so this character emerged in 1979 and disappeared just as quickly. Voiced by Frank Welker, Quackula is a vampire duck living in the basement of a house owned by Theodore, who is a bear, i.e. Teddy Bear. Ha! The only character that's not voiced by uh, Frank Welker in this show, I might add. Oh, that's Filmation founder Norm Prescott doing an imitation of Joe E. Ross of Car 54, Where Are You? Or, you know, Botch from the Hair Bear Bunch. Or Chief from... Uh, Hong Kong Fui. Right. Ooh, ooh! Miss Beavley! Miss Beavley! And most certainly not Fangface. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to when we have to talk about that. I don't want to look forward to having to watch that again. Oh, wait, I did that recently. Sorry, yeah, Frankie. For the moment, it's not on the list. Though, uh, to Norm Prescott's credit, he does a pretty good Joey Ross invitation, all things considered. Yeah, yeah, to be sure. That's basically your premise. Each night, Quackula tries to haunt and terrify Theodore and whoever else happens to be in the house. He never quite succeeds. And Teddy's attempts to get rid of Quackula never quite succeed. These and two kind of exist in a stasis lock. 
And poor Teddy rarely gets any sleep. Yeah. And if any of them succeeded, well, in the words of Merlin Jr., you don't have a show. (laughs) I have the, like, title card for the first episode we watched up right now, and I... After what I've watched these way more than I care to admit, and and I have to say, I just now noticed that his fangs are lopsided in the freaking title card. Charming, like, like one's in the far right and one's like in the middle of his beak instead of the far left. I already says a lot. It, one thing that's really inconsistent on this show is like a lot of the episodes treat Quackula as like. Nobody finds him scary except for Theodore Bear. But then there's some episodes that will randomly treat him as he as if he really is scary to other characters. They're never consistent. Not that that's surprising with this show. No, no. And there's really not much more to say before we get into the episode uh, reviews. You know, the same production team we discussed in the previous uh, podcast on the new adventures of Heckle and Jekyll did these two right at the same time. So consider this that episode part two, I reckon. Heckle and Jekyll is the better show. I'm just going to say that. (laughs) Probably. In fact, certainly. It's at least funny, even if it's just from being absurd. (laughs) And what's probably most frustrating is every once in a while, a glimmer of hope, however faint, emerged with regards to this show. Case in point, the first of our two cartoons we're looking at, Morgana Leduc, written by Paul freaking Dini. As in, co-creator of Batman the Animated Series, Paul Dini. Co-creator of Minerva Mink, Paul Dini. Co-creator of Harley Quinn, Paul Dini. And writer on nearly every 80s cartoon you can think of, Paul Dini. And probably a little too obsessed with Zatanna, Paul Dini. Oh, sorry. (laughs) But given that obsession, should we be surprised that the subject of this cartoon is a spellcasting femme fatale? No, and the fact that her name is a parody of Morgana Le Fay, or more, yeah, you know, is just, uh, it's kind of like, yeah. As soon as she, like, said her name, like, I saw the title, but as soon as she said it, it just clicks in my head. I was like, yeah, this is Paul Dini, all right. <laughs> well, I can think of worse characters to be fascinated by, though. Me too. But we're not going to name them, or we'll be here all day. Paul Dini did actually marry uh, a woman that was uh, a magic performer. So, Indeed. <laughs> kind of similar to how George Perez uh, married a belly dancer, which inspired some of his turn-writing Scarlet Witch. Neat, I actually didn't know that. So anyhow, with Morgana Leduc, our title character pops up at the exterior of Quackula's Manor, explains that after a thousand years, she has escaped her banishment. And you'll notice right away that this is not a girl voicing this character. (laughs) Nope. When we say every character in this show is voiced by Frank Welker, we mean every character. Yeah, she ends up sounding like a bootleg Miss Piggy. (laughs) Kermit! I can't do that. I don't think I can either, and I'm not going to try. My, my brief attempt sounded more like Marge Simpson. Homer! Now, as for Quackula himself, he's singing in his shower, which is, for some reason, conveniently within his egg casket, which he breaks apart when he hits the high note. Bummer. Bummer. I, 
Okay, yeah, that's another running gag. Every episode in, starts with him trying, getting, having trouble getting out of his uh, egg. Always manages somehow, or something happens. His egg always gets destroyed, and somehow it's back by the end of the episode, or fixed, or something. I always find his talking weird. He like talks in old English, but he also says "bummer." Surfer lingo mixed with old English. Well, that sounds like a vampire. Keeping your old slang and trying to adapt to new, you're going to wind up with some weird speech habits. Oh, wait. Does this mean, like, secretly Quackula was ahead of his time and predicted that what would become popular and stuff like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? That's a scary thought. <laughs> I'll... I'll... Mention further proof of this later, but not right now. <laughs> oh yeah, it's coming, folks. It's coming. So, our vampire duck heads upstairs to horrify Teddy, who is heating up a glass of milk in his continuing efforts to just get a good night's sleep. I sympathize with Teddy. Unfortunately, Morgana gets to him first, summoning an orange furry monster to startle him into a suit of armor that just happens to be hanging around the house. Oh, man. Do you think the show also predicted, like, did this show predict Furbies? Because that thing looks like a Furby. <laughs> oh, we keep this up. We'll help predict more things than The Simpsons has. Hopefully nothing is detrimental at some of The Simpsons' predictions. So Morgana claims the house and evicts Teddy via a conjured wagon that she sends out the door at high speed, almost bowling over Quackula. Quackula manages to do the long leg, bow leg over... I don't know how you describe that, but yes. He, he, he's stretching away that plastic man might be impressed. Yeah. And Quackula could have sworn he told him not to practice roller skating in the house. I don't think you get a say over stuff like that, Quackula. However, Morgana sees Quackula and is instantly in love with him. Yep. She's smitten. Boy, did I just get a frame. <laughs> As usual, I'm kind of thumbing through the video while we're talking about it and yeah, I, I just found a frame that I hadn't noticed before where they, they forgot to draw Morgana's upper torso under... Oh, my. Um, I'm going to send this to you, even though, unfortunately, the, the people listening to this podcast can't hear it, just can't see it, but... Oh, come on, Windows, stop being slow. While he's doing that, Morgana's next trick, via the magic of swapping background images... She turns Quackula's manor into a mighty castle and proposes he join her as consort to rule for the rest of his days. Quackula rejects this offer because he only works nights. Being a vampire and all. Right. So she calls her pet, the aforementioned orange furry thing, to show this boar the door. Which he shows him the door, puts him on a door, hits a switch, and springs him out of the whole, man, the whole castle. I have to give them credit for trying some reasonably clever wordplay. It's a gag that with better better storyboard artists and better animators could have actually worked. Yeah. It unfortunately doesn't. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I sent you the image. I see that. It's like her neck and like upper like shoulders are all gone. It's just a levitating head and the rest of her body. Oh, that's a very PG version of a topless dancer. Speaking of that, I've also noticed they're super inconsistent with her dress. Like, sometimes it's like 
neck down, and sometimes it's clearly down to her belly button in some scenes. So this launching reunites Quackula and Theodore. And once they've both recovered, they launch a plan to get their home back. Do you know the plan? Yes. Teddy's going to make a disturbance while Quackula sneaks up on her. And Teddy's disturbance is him going full Gene Krupa on a drum kit he produces out of nowhere. And when Morgana investigates, he insults her with the classic, Your mother rides a vacuum cleaner! Gag. (laughs) That I hear has been upgraded to Roombas in the recent Hocus Pocus sequel. Your mother rides a... (laughs) Your mother rides a vacuum cleaner, by the way. Sent you another screenshot just showing how low that freaking dress goes in some scenes. Wow. It's like, jeez. Animators, calm yourself. <laughs> and here comes more surfer lingo. Yeah, Morgana is not too happy and conjures a spell on poor Teddy by saying, Cowabunga. <laughs> yep. Back to that predating the Ninja Turtles thing. Although Cookie Monster had been using Calabunga on Sesame Street around this time. I actually did not know that. I guess C is good for more than Cookie. Yeah. Either way, Morgana's spell turns Teddy into a chicken-bodied bear, complete with his ooh-oohs being mixed with clucks. Well, I'd say making him into a chicken is pretty uh, accurate for him. Mm. Seeing as he's oftentimes the only one getting scared by Quackula. While this is going on, Quackula finds his copy of Magic for Numbskulls that his uncle left him and confronts Morgana. I do want to say this is one thing that I I mentioned this in my uh, when I actually reviewed this show that I hate to say it was a little impressive. He says it's from his uncle Farrick. Uncle Farrick actually does appear in a previous episode. Continuity. Uh, can you believe it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like. Of all shows that have some continuity, I never expected it to be this one. Once Quackula confronts Morgana, she douses him with water, but let's face it, we all know the phrase, like water off a duck's back. (laughs) We do get Frank making a lot of great drowning duck sounds from that, though. Mm -hmm. What ensues is a battle of polymorph spells with increasingly weird spell words. But don't take our word for it, here's the audio. It all ends with Quackula turning Morgana into a female of the species her pet is a part of. Which, of course, the pet now is smitten and chases her off. Complete with that wobbling aluminum running sound as demonstrated in our last episode. I'm not going to say it's funny, but I'm going to say it's an amusing probably coincidence that the first thing Quackula turns Morgana into is a cow. Mm. Needless to say, she gets chased off, and Quackula changes the house back by saying, how so change And he doesn't need magic to get Teddy back to normal. He just needs to scare him to turn the chicken bear back into a chicken of a bear. <laughs> and then this cartoon goes off the rails. Because Quackula realizes it's time to go to bed, but hey, his egg's broken. Well, if singing broke the egg, he'll just sing backwards. And And somehow this works. Yep. Well, he's also dismayed that Teddy didn't thank him for changing him back. (laughs) Now that's what I call a lullaby. Uh, This is not a good show. 
No, this wasn't great. I mean, you can see Paul Dini's raw talent coming through in bits and bobs in this cartoon, but he has not does not have the experience yet to uh, turn this sow's ear into a silk purse. Well, that and there's always the phrase that sometimes you can't polish a turd. So, yeah. So no, even probably even the most talented writers probably can get this show to work. And then there's the episodes that really don't work. Like our next one. Yeah. We need to take a commercial break just to get our heads put back on straight for this, folks. So uh, stay tuned. The new adventures of Mighty Mouse and Heckle and Jekyll will return after these messages. On the next Penny and James podcast, we love us some Scooby-Doo. But when it comes to Halloween, not just any Scooby episode will suffice. So we decided to creepy and kooky, mysterious and spooky and check out the time they crossed over with Charles Adams' famous family. It's the one episode of the new Scooby-Doo movies you can't get on modern home media. And it's coming up in two weeks. And now, back to the new adventures of Mighty Mouse and Heckle and Jekyll. You know, maybe I should have watched Regana Leduc second so I could have at least recovered from this episode, Room for Rent. This episode... Kind of gets into one of my big problems I have with the majority of the episodes of this show, but we'll get to that. Okay. Anyhow, the writer responsible for this is Ron Card, so direct all your hate mail to him. Uh, This episode starts with Theodore is just so sick and tired of not being able to sleep that he just decides to say heck with it and rent a room to go to sleep. And a hotel. The Hotel Euphoria, in fact. What a name. <laughs> and just to be sure he's not followed, he slaps a padlock on Quackula's egg. Not that that really makes much difference with how any of these episodes start in the first place. By the time Quackula wakes up the next night, he doesn't realize he's locked in, and he starts a fire by lighting a candle in his egg, and he has to drill a hole to place a fire alarm. <sighs> I guess they wouldn't hear the fire alarm inside of the egg? Well, this somehow summons a fire department who put out the blaze and forces open the lock. And upon seeing who's inside, one fireman remarks, No wonder the mother refused to hatch this thing. Was this episode paired with safari birds, do you know? I do not know. Because then that would make two egg hatching jokes. (laughs) Yeah, but the other one was, the safari bird one was much better. (laughs) It's a three minute egg. So Quacky goes to give Teddy the nightly whammy, only to find he's not in his bed. You're not fooling me! I know you're not in there! And then he realizes what he just said. And then compliments his own powers of deduction. (sighs) Yep, he's a cartoon duck, all right. A lot of ego. Not much else, though. So our vampire duck finds the phone book and concludes his praise location, and he's off to the races. Poor Teddy. Yeah. At the hotel, Teddy's first attempt at sleep is interrupted by room service. Room service, of course, being Quackula with a variety of odd food choices, I guess. Yeah. He's serving lobsters a la castanets and cornet on the cob. And cue the stock music having nothing to do with either pun. Yeah. That got on my nerves. 
Yeah. And more puns follow with filet of sole on the menu next, namely shoe soles. Somehow this scares Teddy, who freaks out and hides under his covers. And the last dish Quackula has is going to really grab him. It's an octopus. And there's no pun to it, other than the grab him joke. But, you know, all I have to say is, thank God this is an American production, because, well, yeah. you know how Japan is. <laughs> Meanwhile, I have to say it, these puns are more tortured than a victim of the Spanish Inquisition. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Thank you. So Teddy so, has to sneak off to the pool area and try to sleep on a sun lounger instead. But that doesn't last long because Quackula comes in on a speedboat in the pool. How big is this pool? We're all familiar with the Hanna-Barbera trope of the looping background where the implication is the character is walking in circles. Either Quackula has found a massive pool or he's doing the tightest donuts possible. Seeing Teddy, Quackula throws, like, a grappling hook or anchor or something, connecting his pool chair and drags him across the pool with him. Teddy's ride ends with him being slingshotted via a hammock right back into the hotel and past a poor bellhop. Teddy has to get some sleep, so he devises a new idea. This time to hide under a giant... What, what do you call those things that... A heat cover? I'm not sure. They're, they're those large metal cylindrical covers they use to keep food hot when they're moving it up for room service or other uh, transport. Yeah, they actually had some of those when I was at the hospital. Mm. Never knew what they were called. So Quackula actually manages to spot Teddy under one of these. And more hilarity, quote-unquote, ensues as he borderline tries to kill Teddy. Yeah. First, he takes him up an elevator all the way to the floor. Whoa, Hoss! I couldn't figure out what this could have been a reference to. I, I did a quick Google search, so... and came up empty-handed. Unsolved mystery for now. I, I only can assume it's a variation of the whoa nilly phrase. Regardless, the cart is shoved down the hall, sending Teddy down a laundry chute to get washed, starched, dried. In the background, we spot a sign that says, Next drying fan, 33 miles. That's at least a cute touch. <laughs> a stopped clock is right twice a day. Yep. Unless it's on military time. Oh, yeah. And eventually Teddy's buried in sheets. Flacula compliments himself on a job well done and exits via tiptoeing. Boy, is he going to be stiff when he wakes up this morning. Quack, 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 quack. Lewd. <laughs> so going to his egg, Quackula decides it wasn't that bad of a day after all and tries to go to sleep, but he's interrupted by Teddy serving room service. El Skunko El Stinko. Yeah. Heck of a nightcap. Problem is, the odor just reminds Quackula of an old flame, and he happily goes to sleep. Much to... Teddy's chagrin. Yeah, poor Teddy's pained expression sums up my feelings on this cartoon overall. They actually reuse that same animation in another episode, too, but it's filmation. Why am I not surprised? Yeah, it's filmation. Why? <laughs> okay, see, this episode gets into my problem. We're 
Quackshaw is supposed to be the character you're supposed to root for in this show, but this just makes me feel bad for Teddy. I don't see why I should enjoy like Quackshaw at all in this show. He's, Teddy just wants to get some sleep, and Quackshaw is just being a freaking jerk. Not even a likable jerk. Basically. And that's what a lot of these episodes are like. It's just, Theodore just wants to freaking sleep. I mean, for God's sakes. And he does a lot of crazy schemes to try to get rid of Quackula or get us sleep. And I, I can't blame him. If I've gone several days without sleeping, I would probably do some pretty drastic stuff too. Yeah, given the legs Quackula goes to just to spook and scare Teddy, I don't blame him one bit. Yeah, it's like Teddy's very sympathetic and like, yeah, it's like it just makes me hate Quackula even more. And he's already annoying. <laughs> and even that might be salvageable if the cartoon were actually funny. But uh, Pemi and I were talking this morning and I'm going to repeat here what I said to him then. This cartoon is basically like if I personally were trying to replicate the Looney Tunes vibe, but A... I had never tried to do so before, and B, I couldn't decide which director to pattern my work after. This cartoon has attempts at Chuck Jones-style wordplay, there's attempts at Tex Avery-style lunacy, I mean, you could definitely imagine Screwy Squirrel doing some of these pranks. But it fells on all of them. Yeah, almost nothing sticks to the wall it's thrown against and even less of it meshes together properly. It's a mess, and it's a bad mess. Yeah. And sadly, not Filmation's worst from what I've seen. Now, this is not bad enough to take the crowd of worst cartoon we reviewed from this podcast away from Lassie's Rescue Rangers, which is also by Filmation. Yeah. But it, boy, it's a close runner-up. Uh, I wouldn't even say Lassie is the worst one I've seen. <laughs> it, yeah, we know shows, the worst coming. Yeah, all three shows that were in the Uncle Crocs block are, in my opinion, the worst stuff I've ever seen from Filmation, especially Mush. But that aside, uh, <laughs> yeah, this this isn't a good, this is just, man, this is a bad show. But here's my question for you, James. Okay. Since this is Halloween-related, how does this compare to the Darkstalkers cartoon? The Darkstalkers cartoon was fascinatingly bad. It was like watching a train wreck. This is more akin to watching somebody paint by numbers. Yeah, that's fair. I definitely say this is the worst of the two as well. Even though I, I'm never going to get over the freaking the Senkyo origin in the freaking Darkstalkers cartoon. Me neither. That is so ridiculously stupid. So Quackula disappeared after the single season, thanks to a lawsuit from cartoonist Scott Shaw, citing similarities to his character named Duckula that he created for the comic book Quack in July of 1976. The matter was settled out of court, and Quackula would never be seen again, those similar legal issues never befuddled Cosgrove's Hall's Duckula. Well, the say he's never seen again isn't entirely accurate because the whole way I found out about Quackula is because of a local TV channel in Ardmore, Oklahoma. So Okay. 
because there was this local channel that just aired a lot of weird stuff. And uh, it's how I learned about stuff like Highlander, the animated series, the new adventures of Heckle and Jekyll, Sport Billy. And yeah, they showed Quackula too. So it's just like, all right. Boy, how low was their budget? <laughs> or, or more appropriately, maybe, how many, how many of the good cartoons did the other networks already take? Yeah, that's a fair question. Also, it's, you know, Ardmore, Oklahoma, and a local channel, so they probably were just buying whatever they could. Right. But there you have it. We are now two for two for reviewing a cartoon that is scary for the wrong reasons in the Halloween season. Yeah, it's weird. It is weird, though, that Count Ducula didn't get that same deal. Maybe it is because it came from, you know, the other side of the pond, so to speak. Maybe. Definitely. I can definitely say Count Ducula is the better show. Yeah. Which reminds me, I should probably put it on the list. You probably should. It's actually... It's actually... That I watched some mouse, episode, yeah. yeah. I watched some episodes of Quackula fairly recently, and it, yeah, it's actually a legitimately good show. But, yeah, like, man, yeah, this, this Quackula, though. Quackula's... Oh. Even also, recording what? this episode at midnight couldn't give us the appropriate mood. <laughs> Speaking of which, what is just the deal with... Why is there three vampire decks to begin with? I don't know, because I can think of something scarier than a vampire duck. What's that? A vampire goose. Ooh. I've played Untitled Goose Game. You're not kidding. Yeah. Well, I could just say one thing. Let's see, if I had a nickel for every time I've seen a vampire duck, I'd have three nickels. It wouldn't be a lot, but it's still weird that it's happened three times. I had a similar observation uh, at Flower City Comic Con. Saying I, if I had a nickel for every time I heard the hokey pokey that weekend, I'd have three nickels. But it it would be kind of crazy that it happened that fast. <laughs> and by the by, before I forget, this episode goes out to loyal listener Brenda Thorpe, who on the day we recorded this celebrated her fiftieth birthday. Happy birthday, well, Brenda! Happy birthday! And on that much happier note, we're off to restock the breakfast cereal. See ya! The companion changed to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast! The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.